You know, we were ripped away from our family. Uh, we were ripped away from our friends and, you know, our beautiful place where we live and we love and our business. And like sitting in that waiting room and, and looking around, I just thought then we weren't just living in a new town, a new city. We were living in a whole new world. I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator of the Community Information Centre. And in this episode of Brave, I'm with Lee Caldwell, founder and organiser of Happy Feet. Lee is a gentle, beautiful soul who is dedicated to bringing light into the lives of everyone she meets. Life has also thrown her some really hard times, and she talks about those in this chat, as well as her inextinguishable positivity and love of life that sees her weather every storm. Lee also talks regularly about putting her big girl pants on to challenge herself, and in this podcast, she did just that. The Community Information Centre would like to pay its respects to the Wargarugaba and Bindul people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded. So with your Gillian Barre, you just woke up one morning and couldn't walk. Yes, that's right. Um, I had a little taste of what it was like to have a disability. Don't get me wrong, you know, it was only just a little glimpse. Um, So I had two littlies and um, I was perfectly healthy, woke up one morning and went to get out of bed and I collapsed like a pack of cards. I just had lost the use of my legs. So I had this great idea. I would get myself in the shower, put hot water on and that would fix everything. So I had to go to plan B and um, anyway, I got myself back to bed and our daughter woke up and then I heard our son wake up so I said let's have a game let's crawl on the floor and we'll get to Ashley so I got to his cot I got him out of the cot and it was a great game for them they thought this was awesome and it was at that time that I thought I'm going to have to make that call and I'm shocking at asking for help so I just rang Jeff and I said sorry hun but can you come home I think I'm going to have to go to the doctor So he got home and saw what the situation was. And anyway, I went to the doctor and she was talking about, you have to go to hospital. And I'm like, I've got two littlies, I can't go to hospital. I'm gonna go home and sort them first. And she's just shaking her head. So I did that and um, yeah, (laughs) as you do, you know. And uh, anyway, I got to the hospital and they suspected Gillian Barre and I had to have a lumbar puncture and yeah, that's not a problem, but the specialist who was to do it had had a bad fall, hit his head, and so he was dazed. So not a great situation when you've got this guy shoving a big needle in your back, you know. And I was, I had to, you know, curl up in the fetal position, and I remember thinking, this is as much fun as childbirth. But... Yes, they um, they diagnose Gillian Barre, and it's a sort of a virus that starts at your lower limbs usually, and it works its way up your body and slowly paralyzes you, and then a lot of people have to go on a ventilator to be able to breathe. Um, other people go into a coma, and then if you're lucky, it sort of slowly works itself down the body again. You have to learn to walk, talk, eat, you know, speak 
again, I was so lucky, I just lost the use of my legs. Do you still have it now? Is it something that's curable or you have to be mindful of it? It's a funny one. There's not a lot known about it. And certainly back then, we were just like, Gillian, what? You know, and um, there was definitely no services um, to help around the home um, and, and no rehab. You know, and that's what I'm so excited about today. You know, there's so much out there, so much help. And, and thanks to you guys too, for you and your team for, you know, making people aware of those services. But um, yeah, so I just looked after the kids and did everything. But you know what? I always take a, something good out of a bad situation. If you're going to go through it, you may as well grab something good. And for me, that was, um, you know, I noticed people were treating me differently. It was a real eye-opener. And, um, you know, like I would notice my friends would be really serious with me. And, and I'd say to them, hey, I still love life. I still am so lucky and, and I've got my sense of humour and I love to laugh and, you know, and... And then there'd be, you know, the people that would stare. Um, and, and you learnt to ignore that. But there was this one day and this lady just kept staring. Ignore, ignore. And it was just like she had no idea how much effort it took just to get out of bed, let alone looking after their two kids, you know. Anyway, I ended up shuffling up to her with this, the two kids and I just went, why don't you take a photo? It will last longer, you know, and I, that was so out of character for me. But and if that lady's out there, I'm very sorry. But there were times where the frustration threatened to engulf you, you know, with every bit of your being. So, but... The good thing about that, what I took out of it was I had empathy for those with a special need and you just want to be treated like everyone else and you want acceptance and inclusion. So they're biggies for me. So is that our segue into Happy Feet? Is that where the concept and the idea of you wanting to bring Happy Feet to Townsville? I think that was the seed that was planted, you know, because when I would see people with a, a special need, I would only see their abilities. And um, so you can imagine I was watching that Andrew Denton show with um, Enough Rope, it was called, and he was interviewing a group called the Merrymakers. They're a Sydney dance group and uh, for people with differing abilities. And I just went, I'm going to bring that to Townsville. It was just like, you know, my nickname is Nike because I just do it. But at that time, we had a, a far greater character building time that we were going through. So I put that on my list for down the track when, I, when it was a time that I could do it. So Happy Feet, how long has it been going in Townsville for now? Well, we've been going um, 11 years now. And oh, I just love 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 my happy feeders they are the most amazing people and I'm so lucky to spend time with them it just makes my heart smile so tell us what is happy feet 
Happy Feet is a dance group for people with differing abilities. And you would think that for me to start a dance group, I would be a dance teacher. No. And, you know, to deal with people with special needs, you'd think I'd have, you know, uni degrees and diplomas hanging on the wall, but none of the above. Um, I just had that passion for seeing all their ability. I'd had that little taste and that empathy, and I just wanted the to get them out there and have acceptance and, and inclusion. So what did the process look like starting Happy Feet Up? Absolutely terrifying. I had no idea what I was doing. It was trial and error and so much error. It just wasn't funny. And there were times where I was just beating my head against the brick wall, you know. It's like, you can't do this. It hasn't been done. You know, you're crazy. Rady, rady, rah. And I did it anyway. Found myself an amazing dance teacher who was with me for nearly 10 years. And we were only going to start with about, oh, I don't know, five or 10 clients or, you know, members. And it was so popular. We started with 25. And from day one, so for 11 years, we've had a, um, a waiting list for members as well as volunteers. How does that happen? I don't know. So. so there's obviously more people in our community with the same passion as yours of inclusive communities and seeing people's abilities and wanting to be a part of that. Yes. You know, our volunteers are handpicked. They're there because they've got soul and wanting to be there for the right reasons. So, you know, I, I've watched those guys come in and they had no confidence, um, so shy, and we just drummed it into them. You know, believe and you can achieve. That's our big thing. And what we're seeing them do, even their families can't believe it. And I just pinch myself going, you know, and, and I should be able to say, well, you know, it happens because of this, you know. And, and the simple truth is I've got no idea. but seriously we see it every week what they're doing it's just we call it the magic of happy feet we had to cap the happy feeders at 40 so every week we have over a hundred people um that's with their carers their support workers but um yeah we could have 60 70 happy feeders in a heartbeat but we want them to feel like they're the only people Mm. in the world we want them every one of those to feel special and have fun and and you know what like I've what you know they've each got their own journey and their story and it's just amazing what I've watched over the years yeah do you do any fundraisers or any other things throughout the year to help keep happy feet afloat well we're in such a great position and not many um, not-for-profit um, organisations would be in such a fortunate position as us. The last couple of years we've been really lucky. The Townsville City Council have been amazing. They have paid because we've got to have such a big venue. Our venue is quite costly and um, we were just funding it ourselves 
and um, the Townsville City Council have given us a grant for the last couple of years and that's just been a godsend. Um, we don't do any fundraising. Um, we just don't seem to need much if we... A big game changer for us was when we decided to take 70 of our team down to Newcastle to perform at the opening ceremony of the Special Olympic Games. And to take, you know, that was a big project. And it was going to cost a lot of money, you know. So we did fundraising then and it's set us up. So we've been very, very lucky. That's so good. Where has the Happy Feeders performed? And how do you prepare for a show? Like, how do they prepare for their dances? They just practice. It's just part of their... Do they have a weekly practice? You meet weekly? Weekly, yes, we do meet every week. And um, so we introduce the dancers and I do all the stuff behind the scenes, usually three o'clock in the morning. A lot of people think that that's all I do, you know, you've got happy feet. Well, no, we've got a a family business. So I do a lot of my happy feet um, stuff at three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock. But there's a lot goes in behind the scenes. And I find with their happy feeders, the more information I can give them, the more relaxed and comfortable they are with that because every performance is like a box of chocolates. We don't know what to expect and we have to change the the plans, you know, in an instant. And when you're dealing with people with, you know, um, autism and things like that, um, that can be a challenge. But, you know, with our happy feeders, once again, like that's what we've seen. We throw stuff at them and they are so comfortable with having those plans changed constantly that their their comfort zone has got bigger and bigger and they're just it just doesn't phase them. Yeah, but do you think that's because you've created a place of trust for them? Like the plans might change, but they now have so much faith and trust in you that you've got their back. You know what? That's that's probably the reason yeah and they know that hey if we have to change the plan it's for their safety it's for their well-being it's for their happiness you know so we've um yes so getting back to the performances we've taken um 70 of them down to perform in newcastle for the opening ceremony of the special olympic games as you do and um we performed with guy sebastian three times and do. that's where I've seen Happy Feet for the first time was at one of his concerts with my children. And How did you feel? How it, did you? Oh, it was amazing when they came out and they performed. Like, honestly, me and my children did not have dry eyes. Oh, really? We just thought it was amazing. And um, my kids were absolutely captivated by that performance and were still talking about it after the concert. And then so I was so excited um, to know that, Happy Feet was something here in Townsville and I'm only just finding out, but it was that was amazing. And my kids really appreciated, like, look what those kids are doing. Look what those people are doing, Mum. It's like, absolutely. Yeah. So we did that. Um, we've performed at the um, Cowboys home game. Um, Dance for Daniel. Bruce and Denise Morecambe are just darlings. They love our Happy Feeders and they love spending time. So that's really special. I want to go back a bit and you mentioned before that the idea of happy feet came early on in the piece for you but you had to put it on hold. Yes. And that was because of your son Ashley. Yes that's right. 
That was when he was 14. He was, um, he was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. And I'm the big toughie and I, have never, I never talk about it. Um, even when we were going through it, we, um, we didn't tell our... All right, we can take a breath. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Got to put my big girl pants on. Your big girl pants are so big they'll fall down because you're such a small person. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to see them? <laughs> no, I'm good. I, I do that and it's all good. Okay, let's start that one again. When our son was 14, um, he had some sore glands in his neck and um, I just thought it might be, you know, um, Stacy and Jeff had had a bit of a throat infection, so it must just be something like that. And after a couple of days, it was still annoying him, so we went to the doctor and you get a bit blasé. It's like, oh, you know, go... But I noticed the doctor's um, mannerisms changed when I was in there. And he started to become more thorough. And then he asked the question, have you been getting bruising? Well, I just went, oh my goodness, he's checking for leukemia. So he said, look, I think it's just a throat infection. If they're still up in a month, you know, just come back. So I put him a diary every two days. It was like, you know, check. And, you know, it looked as though it was getting better. So, yes, yes. But then Saturday night, dishing out dinner, and he said... I mean, he'd been out riding his motorbike that afternoon. Anyway, I felt his neck and my blood just went cold. And I finished serving up dinner and I went outside. I took the chair out into the middle of the yard and I fell to pieces. And my hubby came out and we'd been married over 20 years at that stage and he had never, ever seen me cry or like that. And I said, you think taking a healthy teenage boy up to the hospital on a Saturday night is crazy? I said, but Jeff, we have to do it. And he was so wonderful. He went into Ash and he said, come on, we'll go up and we can put mum's mind at rest. So we went up and I went to the triage nurse and I said, this is serious. And no words were necessary. And we didn't have to wait long and the doctor sort of saw us and and he said, look, I agree with the other doctor. What do you want to do now? And my beautiful hubby said, well, we came to get a blood test. Do you mind if we do that? And he said, no, no, that's for sure. So we waited in this little room and Ashley had us in fits of laughter. He was blowing up these, you know, surgical gloves and we were laughing. And anyway, so time went on and 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 20 to 12. I saw the doctor at the door and his body language said everything. He slumped in the chair and he said words no parent ever want to hear. He said, we found an abnormality in your son's blood and we'll speak to the oncologist in the morning. Wow. They were words um, that rocked our world. Yeah. 
So I remember my beautiful hubby, always the, you know, he said, well, we're not going to worry about anything until we get, you know, more information, you know. Um, so we went home, we made a cup of tea. By this time, it's sort of half past 12 at night. And we sat under the stars and we didn't say anything. And it's funny, you know, it was probably 15 years before I could sit down and look at the stars again and enjoy them. Because every time I looked at the stars, it took me back to that that moment. Mm-hmm. The journey then continued on for three and a half years for Ashley and yourself and your whole family. There was one piece of information that you were given when you first transferred down to Brisbane and, and to basically relocate your life. And that was from a counsellor at the hospital. And that seems to have stuck with you, and but for good and bad reasons. Well, the doctors at the hospital were amazing. So the next day we rang up and they said, come straight to the hospital. So this was Sunday morning at eight o'clock. So we went up there, more testing, and they said, we're pretty sure it's leukaemia, but for you to have the best treatment, we need you to go down to Brisbane. And that's like immediately, as soon as we can organise it. So um, we were on the plane the next day and because our beautiful daughter was, it was three days from her 16th birthday. So it was like, what do we do? Do we take her with us? And, you know, we wanted to protect her too. You know, we were having to go through the horror and we thought... Because you had to make a lot of decisions straight away. Immediately. And so... Um, she stayed with mum and dad and we were on a the six o'clock flight the next morning and you know what I mean we were still joking and laughing and and I thought people would have no idea the situation that we were in um, having a look at us you know and then I looked down at they left the cannula in his hand and I went no unfortunately it isn't just a nightmare it's for real so we were down at the um, the children's the children's um, cancer ward, and I don't do crying because I'm so tough. So that was pretty tough, you know. Yeah. And we just we're just looking around, and this counsellor came and sat with us and had a chat. And after about ten minutes, she said. Well, you guys should be the counsellors with your attitude, you know, a positive attitude. She said, can you promise me something? I'd be like, wow, I just don't even know this lady and here she is getting me to promise her something. We said, oh, well, well, she said, promise me you won't talk to any of the other families down here because I don't want you taking on all their problems and, and everything like that. You have got enough to handle and I was pretty gobsmacked because I'm a social butterfly I love people I just find people you know fascinating and and want to help everybody and anyway so um, that was you know if we didn't feel totally alone and isolated before that moment we did then so that was the last we saw of any counsellor for the whole three and a half year treatment Ashley was on. And Jeff and I chose to handle it ourselves. We 
didn't talk about it. So for me to do this is, I've got those big girl pants on again. It's very brave. <laughs> and I'm thinking of running out the door right now. But <laughs> that's why I'm standing in front of the door. <laughs> Open it up now. <laughs> You've got me chained to this chair. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, just after he was diagnosed, um, he was amazing. He said, don't worry, mum. When we get down to that hospital in Brisbane, we'll make them feel better just by the way we are. And I was like, how does that happen? Anyway, I so... I think I know how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because it's the parenting you've instilled and the family that you've grown. Thank you. But, um, yeah, so, you know, we said it's all about choices. You know, you can go around having a pity party, woe is me, and, oh, you know, and or you can choose to be happy. And that's what I said to our family. I said, I'm going to choose to put my happy face on. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to get on with this and we're going to do it you know and they chose to do the same thing and so Jeff and I didn't even share what we were going through with our family because it was hard enough us going through the horror and when we would get that luxury of catching up with friends and our family we didn't want to relive it we wanted we craved normal we just craved normal I lived in the hospital 24-7 and um, the first night I stayed at Ronald McDonald Place, um, we wanted to get accommodation elsewhere so we didn't take up anybody's spot but we we had no notice or anything and we had to stay at Ronald McDonald because if Ashley was given the luxury of getting out of hospital just for an hour, we had to be within a certain distance. And Isn't so, it um, interesting how you mentioned the word luxury, what luxury meant for you changed overnight. All of a sudden luxury was getting let out of the hospital for an hour to get absolutely. some fresh air. You know, we were ripped away from our family. Uh, we were ripped away from our friends and, you know, our beautiful place where we live and we love and our business and like sitting in that waiting room and and looking around I just thought then we weren't just living in a new town a new city we were living in a whole new world mm. but you know as time went on we you, you find another normal and you know things I th- my little saying is water finds its level and you know you just sort of um, okay, we've got to cope with all this and um, you just do it, you know. And it's funny, you know, because when you do have, once again, that luxury of going home from Brisbane, um, you think it's all going to be peachy. But then you realise that you don't have the safety net of being surrounded by all those doctors and all those nurses. And then you're trying to have a normal life and you your your family and your life is so far from normal and it can be you know character building mm. so through his three and a half year journey and towards the end what did that feel like being told you were free from the shackles 
The last trip down to Brisbane, you should have seen the nurses. They were, they sort of had a kaleidoscope of emotions like all of us, you know. They had just grown so close to him. They loved him, you know. And it was just like family down there. And I tell you what, just last weekend, he had, he'd done this um, great big photo shoot and, and one of the nurses has followed him ever since we left and this is so many years after and she commented and she said you know what Ashley you've always been all sorts of awesomeness and I thought that was lovely so you think and then we go home and you think it all just happens it all just returns to normal you know magically and for me I think I wasn't I definitely wasn't prepared for that I I actually found that the hardest time because for three and a half years your head's just going you've got constant medications constant mouthwashes constant 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 and then you haven't got the safety net of that treatment is one thing and you think you sort of you have those little niggles oh gee I hope it doesn't come back and you've got to just bounce that off that just wastes energy but um I didn't realize how much energy it took to be positive and um have my happy face on and you know be strong for everybody else and Mm. you know I had no idea it is hard it is exhausting yeah well I didn't know I was just on autopilot I was just Nike just do it And I found myself wanting to just escape. I felt like a wounded animal that needed to just crawl away and lick its wounds and heal. Did you allow yourself to do that? No, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I would sneak away to our creek for little, little moments and just sit and watch the ducks and I'm going, what are you doing? And, and I think for our whole family, I think it was that slow process of being able to plan something and actually being able to do it, not have to go to plan B, plan C, plan D, race him to hospital, this happened, this happened, you know? If we planned to go water skiing and we actually went, it was just like, wow, how did that happen? You know, so... Once again, water finds its level and, you know, you just get back into the... You, I think, get the confidence of planning things and knowing that you can do them. Mm. So, Where did you get this from? Your confidence or... Not so much your confidence because you want to tell me you're not confident. I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a wrong way. I'm faking it. Yeah. Where did you get your such kind, caring, beautiful, gentle nature from? Never been asked. I just do. My mum and dad, the way we've been brought up, I think. They've been amazing mentors and role models. And, and I've just, you know, I realised that with just a little bit of effort... It doesn't even take much. You can make a difference in someone's life. Mm. Where to next for Happy Feet? How big is your list? 
COVID has curved that list a bit. The, it's still big. Um, it may just delay a few things. But, you know, I say to our happy feeders, it's not about the performances. You know, they're the bonuses. You don't even have to come to them. It's about the happiness every week at Happy Feet. That's where the magic is. That's where the fun is. So um, we'll just keep doing that for as long as we can. Um, and it's different, you know, it's hard because we used to, everyone arrived at Happy Feet, big hugs all around because for some of them, that's the only hugs that they got. Mm. And now that's changed. So um, it's just water finds its level with that um, we're adjusting. We've just fine-tuned it so that we can still do it. In that lockdown, that was just heartbreaking. It was about seven months. And I had happy feeders ringing me, begging me, pleading to start happy feet again. And how do you explain when you don't even really understand yourself how you can't have happy feet, you know? Mm. That was for them. That was what they looked forward to every week. And as soon as they walked out that door, you knew that they were counting the sleeps until they had happy feet again. So we will continue to, um, yeah, just share the magic of happy feet and, um, and just sort of when things settle down again, watch this space. Thanks, Lee. And in the words of Lee, have a peachy day. <laughs> I love how you sign everything off with I love have a peachy day. It just puts a smile on your face. Well, thank you, Teresa. Thank you for everything you do. You're a beautiful soul. And thank you for everything you do because I've been on the other side of it where there haven't been those, those services and things like that. And once again, thank you for doing, you and your team, for everything you do. You make a difference in this world as well. Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.